Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Good morning. Good morning. Peyton is not wanting to wake up. But I can't blame her because it's 6 o'clock in the morning. And that's, that is hard for a kid. Huh, Pei? All right. Well, we are reading Chapter 3 of A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony... No, Chapter 3. No, the... No, it... I get up at five and read, but I come in here at six. Yeah, it's only, it's six. Um, the Grim Grotto, like Ariel's Grotto from Disneyland. Ah, it's actually technically California Adventure, but that's fine. All right, chapter three. The expression, shiver me timbers, comes from the Society of Pirates who enjoy using interesting expression almost as much as jumping aboard other people's ships and stealing their valuables. It is an expression of extreme amazement and used in circumstances when one feels as if one's very bones or timbers are shivering. I have not used this expression since since one rainy night when it was when it was necessary to pose as a pirate experiencing amazement. But when Captain Wittershins told the Baudelaire orphans where the Queequeg was going and it was searching for, there was a perfect opportunity to say these words. Shiver me, timbers, Sunny cried. Your timbers, Captain cried back. Are the Baudelaire's practicing piracy? Aye, my heavens, if your parents knew that you were stealing treasures of others... Not pirates, Captain Wittershins, Violet said hastily. Sunny's just using an expression she learned from an old movie. She just means we're surprised. Surprised, said the captain, pacing up and down in front of them, his waterproof suit cons- uh, crinkling with every step. Do you think that the Queequeg made it difficult for the stricken stream just for my own personal amusement? I? Do you think that I would risk such a terrible danger simply because I had no other plans for this afternoon? I do you think I was it was a crazy coincidence that you ran into the periscope? I do you think do you think this uniform makes me look fat? I <laughs> what do you think the members of VFD would just sit here and twiddle their thumbs while Count Olaf's treachery covers up the lake like a crust covers a filling of a pie? I you were looking for us, Klaus said as he asked in amusement. He was tempted to cry, shiver me timbers, like his sister said, but he did not alarm Captain Wittershins. <sighs> Any further. <sighs> for you, Captain Captain cried. I for the sugar bowl. I for justice. I for liberty. I for opportunity to make the world quiet. I and safety. I and and we only may we only have until Thursday. I we're terrible we're in terrible danger. So get to work. I bamboozled sunny cried my sister's confused violet said and so are we captain wittershins if we would just stop for a moment and hear your story from the beginning 
Stop for a moment, Captain explained in astonishment. I've explained our desperate circumstances and you're asking me to hesitate? My dear girl, remember my personal philosophy. I, he or she who hesitates is lost. Now get, let's get moving. The children looked at one another in frustration. They did not want to get moving. It felt like the Baudelaire orphans that had been, it felt like the Baudelaire orphans had been moving almost constantly since that terrible day at the beach when their lives had been turned upside down. They had moved into Count Olaf's home and then the various guardians. They had moved away from their village intent on burning them at the stake and they had moved into the hospital and burst into in the the hospital that had burst into flames around them they had moved into the hinderlands in the trunk of Olaf's car and they had moved away from the hinderlands in disguise they had moved up the mortmain mountains hoping to find their parents and they had moved down the mortmain mountains thinking that they would never see their parents and now they're in a tiny submarine stricken in the stricken stream that they wanted to stop moving just for a little while and receive some answers to the questions they had been asking themselves since the moving began. Stepfather, Fiona said gently, why don't you, why don't you start the Queequeg's engine and I'll show the Baudelaire's where our spare uniforms are. I'm the captain, the captain announced. I, I give the orders around here. Then he shrugged and squinted up towards the ceiling. The Baudelaire's noticed for the first time there was a ladder of rope running on the side of the wall. It led to a small shelf where the children could see a large wheel, probably for steering, and a few rusty levers which, and switches that were by Byzantine in their design. A phrase here which means so complicated that perhaps even the Baudel- Violet Baudelaire would have had trouble working on them. In order, I order myself to go up the ladder, the captain continued, a bit sheepish, and start the engine of the Queequeg. With one last eye, the captain began hoisting himself towards the ceiling, and the Baudelaire's were left alone with Fiona and Phil. You must be overwhelmed, Baudelaire's, Phil said. I remember my first day aboard the Queequeg, and it made Lucky Smell's lumber seem calm and quiet. Phil, why don't you get the Baudelaire some soda while I find some uniforms, Fiona said. Soda, Phil said, nervously glancing at the captain, who was already halfway up the ladder. We're supposed to save soda for special occasions. It is a special occasion, Fiona said. We're welcoming three more volunteers on board. What kind of soda would you prefer, Baudelaire's? Anything but parsley, Violet said, ref- referring to the beverage enjoyed by Esme Squalor. I'll bring you some lemon-lime, Phil said, and the sailors the sailors always make sure that there's plenty of citrus in their systems. I'm glad to see the I'm glad to see you children. You know, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. I was so horrified after what happened in Paltryville that I couldn't stay at Lucky Smills since they since and since then my life has been one big adventure. I'm sorry that your leg never healed, Klaus said, referring to Phil's limp. I didn't realize the accident with with the stamping machine was so serious. Well, that's not why I'm limping, Phil said. I was bitten by a shark last week, and it was very painful, but I'm quite lucky. Most people never get the opportunity to get so close to a deadly animal. The Baudelaire's watched him as he limped back through the kitchen door, whistling a bouncy tune. Phil, was Phil always so optimistic when you knew him, Fiona asked? Always, Violet said, and her siblings nodded in agreement. We've never known anyone who could remain so cheerful. No matter what terrible things occurred... To tell the truth, I sometimes find it a bit tiresome, Fiona said, adjusting her triangular glasses. Shall we find some uniforms for you?
The Baudelaire's nodded and followed Fiona into the main hall, back into the narrow corridor. I know that you have a lot of questions, she said, so I'll try and tell you everything that I know. My stepfather believes that he or she who hesitates is lost, but I have a more cautious personal philosophy. We'd be very grateful if you might tell us a few things, Klaus said. First, how did you know who we are? Why were you looking for us? And how did you know how to find us? That's a lot of firsts, Fiona said with a smile. I think you Baudelaire's are forgetting your exploits haven't exactly been a secret. Nearly every day there's been a story about you in one of the most popular newspapers. The Daily Punctilio, Violet asked. I hope you haven't been believing the dreadful lies that they've been putting putting about us. Of course not, Fiona said. But even the most ridiculous stories can gain contain a grain of truth the daily punctilio said that you murdered a man in the village of foul devotees and then set the heimlich hospital set fires at the heimlich hospital in calgary carnival we knew of course that you hadn't committed these crimes but we should but we could tell that you'd been there my stepfather and i figured that you'd found some of the secret stains on madame lulu's map and we were and were headed for the vfd headquarters klaus grasped you know about madame lulu he said in the coded stain my stepfather taught that code to Madame Lulu, Fiona said, a long time ago when we were both young. Well, he heard about the destruction of the headquarters, so we assumed that you'd be heading back down the mountains. So I set a course for the quagmire, for the Queequeg to journey up the stricken stream. You traveled all the way up here, Klaus said, just to find us? Fiona looked down. Well, no, she said. <sighs> you weren't the only thing at BFD headquarters. One of the volunteers... One of the volunteer fractual dispatches had told us that the sugar bowl was up there as well. Dimph of that, Sunny said. What are the volunteer fractual dispatches exactly, Violet translated. They're, they're a way of telling, of sharing information, Fiona said. It's difficult for volunteers to meet up with one another, so they make us, so when we unlock the mystery, they can write it on a telegram. That way important information gets calculated and before long our commonplace books will be full of information so we can use it to defeat our enemies a commonplace book is we know what a commonplace book is klaus said and removed his dark blue notebook from his pocket i've been keeping one myself fiona smiled and drummed her glove her gloved finger on the cover of klaus's book i should have known she said if your sister wants to start books themselves we should have a few spares everything's in our supply room so are we going to go up to the ruins and head to the ruins of the headquarters violet asked and get the sugar bowl we didn't see it there we think someone threw it out the window fiona figured then when the fire began if or when the fire began if they threw the sugar bowl from the kitchen it would have landed on the stricken stream and been carried away by their water cycle all the way down the mountain we're seeing that we were seeing if it could be found at the bottom of the stream when we happened upon you three. The stream probably carried it much further than this, Klaus said thoughtfully. I think so too, Fiona agreed. I'm hoping that you can discover its location by studying my stepfather's title charts. I can't make head or tail of tails of them. I'll show you how difficult. I'll show you how to read them, Klaus said. It's not difficult. That's what. Frightens me, Fiona said. If those charts aren't difficult to read, then Count Olaf might have the chance of finding the sugar bowl before we do. My stepfather says that if the sugar bowl falls into his hands, then all of our efforts of the volunteers will be for naught. 
The Baudelaire's nodded, and the four children made their way down the corridor in silence. The phrase for not is simply a fancy way of saying for nothing, and it doesn't matter which phrase you use, for both of them are equally difficult to admit. Later this afternoon, for instance, I was in a large room full of sand, and if I do not find that test tube I'm looking for, it will be difficult to admit that I am. I have sifted through all that sand for nothing. If you insist on finishing this book, you will find it difficult to admit that between bouts of weeping that you have read this story for not, and that it would have been better to page through tedious descriptions of the water cycle. And the Baudelaire's did not want to find themselves admitting that all of their troubles had been for naught, and that the adventures meant nothing, and that their entire lives were were naught and nothing if Count Olaf managed to find this crucial sugar bowl before they did. The three siblings followed Fiona down the corridor and hoped that hoped their time aboard the Queequeg would not be another terrifying terrifying journey ending in more disappointment, disillusionment, and despair. For the moment, however, their journey ended in a, at a small door where Fiona stopped and turned to the Baudelaire's. This is our supply room, she said. Inside, you'll find uniforms for all three of you, although even our smallest size might be too big for Sunny. Pinstripe, Sunny said. It meant something like, don't worry, I'm used to ill-fitting clothing and her siblings and her siblings were quick to translate. You'll need you'll need diving helmets too, said Fiona. And this is an old submarine, so it could spring so it could spring a leak. If the leak is serious, the pressure of the water could cause the walls of the Queequeg to collapse, filling in all of these rooms and corridors with water. The oxygen systems contain the diving helmets to enable you to breathe underwater. For a short time anyways. Your stepfather said that the helmets would be too big for Sunny and that she'd have to curl up inside of one, Violet said. Is that safe? Safe, but a bit uncomfortable, Fiona said. Like everything else in the Queequeg, the submarine is used to having used in wonder what used to be in wonderful shape, but without anyone who knows how about mechanics, it's not been it's not quite up to its former glory. Many of the rooms have flooded, and I'm sorry to say that we'll be sleeping in very tight quarters. I hope you like bunk beds. Oh, we've slept on worse, Klaus said. So I hear, Fiona replied. I think that the description of the orphan shack at Prufock Preparatory School, that that sounded terrible. Oh, I read the description. So you knew about us even then, Violet asked. Why didn't you find us sooner? Fiona sighed. Well, we knew about you, she said. Every day I would read terrible stories in the newspaper. But my stepfather said that we couldn't do anything until all the treachery in these stories were contained. Why not, Klaus said. He said that your troubles were too enormous, she replied. I don't understand, Violet said. I don't really understand either, Fiona admitted. My stepfather said that the moment that the amount of treachery in this world was is enormous and that the best thing we, thing that we could do was one small noble thing, and that's why we are looking for the sugar bowl. You think that accomplishing such <sighs> such a small task would be easy and that we've been looking and that we've been looking for ages and still haven't found it. But what's so important about the sugar bowl? Klaus asked. Fiona sighed and blinked several times before her, tri- several times behind her triangular glasses. She was so sad that the middle Baudelaire almost wished that he hadn't asked. I don't know, she said. He won't tell me. Why no no? Sunny said. He said it was better I didn't know. Fiona said. I guess that's enormous too, and an enormous secret. 
He said the people had been had been destroyed for knowing such an enormous secret and that he didn't want me in that sort of danger. But you're already in danger, Klaus said. We're all in danger. We're all on board an unstable submarine trying to find a tiny, important object for before a nefarious villain gets his hands on it. Fiona turned the door the handle of the door and opened with a long, loud creak that made the Baudelaire shiver. The room was very small and very dim, lit only by a small green light. For a moment, it even looked like the room was full of people staring silently at the children in the corridor. But then the siblings saw that it was just a row of uniforms hanging up from simple hooks on the wall. I guess that there are worse dangers, Fiona said. I guess there are dangers that we simply can't imagine. The Baudelaire's looked at their companion and then at the eerie row of empty uniforms on the shelf above the waterproof suits was a large row of diving helmets, a round spheres of metal with the small circular windows in the middle so that the children would be able to see out when they put them on. In the dim green light, the helmets looked a bit like eyes glaring at the Baudelaire's from the supply room, just as the eyes of Count Olaf, just as the, just like the eye on Count Olaf's ankle had glared at them so many times before. Although they still weren't pirates, the siblings were tempted to say "Shiver me timbers" once again as they stepped inside the small, cramped room and felt themselves shiver down their bones. They did not like to think about the Queequeg spring on to spring a leak or collapsing or to image imagine themselves frantically attaching the diving helmets to their heads or in Sunny's case frantically stuffing her inside one they didn't like to think about where count olaf might be or imagine what would happen if he found the sugar pearl before they did but most of all the bodlers did not like to think about the dangers that fiona had mentioned dangers worse than the ones that they had faced or dangers that they couldn't simply imagine dun 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 and Peyton is... Peyton has a hard time staying awake in the morning, huh? Huh, Pepe? Poor little Pepe. 